The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited. The flockdown restrictions due to avian flu have been lifted, but has the problem gone away? There is still a disease in circulation. Looking out for the symptoms of your birds being off colour, perhaps they're not laying as many eggs, maybe they're just a bit reticent about coming forward to eat. There's a variety of symptoms and be very alert to that because the disease hasn't gone away. Contractor costs are going up, but not, it seems, as much as their charges. What's to be done? And with news of a farming award in the name of one of the biggest contributors of our generation to farming and the environment. She was always very good at looking forward and seeing what the next sort of thing was that farming had to think about and very good at translating that passion to other people. Plus, of course, crop, livestock and grain market reports, important and timely agronomy advice and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. Happy St George's Day. We'll start with the removal of the avian flu restrictions, flock down. We're joined by the NFU's poultry advisor for the East Midlands, Andy Guy. Andy, this must be a huge relief to poultry farmers and domestic bird keepers. Uh, it'll take the pressure off enormously. As the weather warms up, we get more and more concerned about hens being shut in buildings that really aren't designed for keeping them in in the summer months. So it's important that we manage to to get them out onto their free range ground as early as we can. It's an important step forward. Auntie, what were the restrictions brought in to do? It's partly to protect the individual birds, but also to try to restrict the spread of the disease. It's it's very much like lockdown for COVID for, for the human population over the last few years. It's been proven to work quite successfully. There have been outbreaks rumbling on all the way through the winter and in fact still rumbling along. There's, there's one last week that I heard about, but it has kept it under control. We've had a lot less outbreaks in recent times than we, than we might have done. And the effects of avian flu can be really serious, can't they? Like a lot of influenzas, like human influenzas, and just like COVID, like any virus, avian influenza comes in a number of different variants and would be familiar with Omicron and things like that with COVID. So people are used to talking about that now. The one that's been circulating in recent times has been really very, very serious. It affects different species of birds differently. But for most of the farmed poultry and the kind of birds that people will be keeping in their gardens and orchards and, and allotments and places like that, it's devastating and has a very, very high mortality rate. So birds will die typically within a day or two of showing the first symptoms, sometimes within hours. And something like 95% of the birds that catch it will die of it. And with the restrictions being lifted, does that mean we're all in the clear now or should we keep an eye out for symptoms? There is still a disease in circulation. Looking out for the symptoms of your birds being off colour, perhaps they're not laying as many eggs. Maybe they're just a bit reticent about coming forward to eat. There's a variety of symptoms and be very alert to that because the disease hasn't gone away. That's NFU Regional Poultry Advisor for the East Midlands, Andy Guy. Thanks, Andy. UK inflation remains stubbornly at its highest for many years, over 10%. However, contracting rates have increased much more modestly, according to a recent survey by the NAAC, the National Association of Agricultural Contractors, whose chief exec is Jill Hewitt. Jill, NAAC members' costs have increased, along with everything else, but the increase in prices charged is still below general inflation. As always with agriculture, contractors are trying to keep the prices fair for farmers. 
But as cost of fuel, labour, inputs continue to increase, obviously contracting prices need to go up too. And are we anticipating that to continue or do we see things levelling out at all? I mean, I think, Steve, to be honest, it depends how general inflation continues to rise or whether it levels out. If fuel and labour particularly continue to increase, that puts pressure on contractors. Mm. And we've got, of course, other costs going into this in terms of all the normal farming costs, really. Fertiliser, oil, soil preparation costs all increasing as well. Yes, for contractors, particularly machinery prices, they're soaring still and contractors need to be able to maintain well-maintained high-tech kit to provide their customers with a good service. Now, of course, what contractors don't want to do is push things so far that it causes problems with the farmer. So what's the solution in terms of putting together a fair price for the contractor to charge the farmer? Yeah, I think that's about working with customers. Um, A lot of customers are obviously facing these prices themselves. So it's really important that the contractors and farmers are working in partnership so that both parties have longevity in their businesses and can invest and make sure soil is properly looked after and the latest technology is being used. And I think for contractors, we certainly recommend that although the pricing guide we've released is important, it is a survey across the UK and it's really important that contractors work out their individual prices and we've certainly got a tool that can help our members. This is your NAAC online pricing tool and that was developed with Anderson's Consulting. How does that work then? It allows contractors to put in all their costs and then the costing calculator can work out what they should be charging for each job. That can be created into a quote if they want so that they can be quite open with their customers. And that takes into account all the costs, I guess, that the contractor's facing, depreciation, repair costs of machines, etc. Yeah, labour, office staff, God forbid, maybe even some profit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) Well, you know, much as we laugh, it is actually really important that contractors can also earn a living, you know, and I think we all, sometimes they forget that. And while it needs to be fair for the farmer so that they can afford to have a contractor in to get some of it, particularly some of the work now that the machinery costs are so high they can't afford or justify to have specialist kits. But it needs to be fair for all parties. No, very true. And I mean, we've not got time to go through the whole contracting prices survey, but that can obviously be found on your website. But is there any kind of overall picture of the way prices have gone? I'd say overall there's been a general increase. Not massive, I'd say not as high as 10% plus that a lot of the general world is talking about in terms of inflation, um, probably 3 4%, that sort of level. Okay, and where can we find the, uh, the, the survey if we wanted to have a look in detail? Yeah, it's all on our website, so that's naac.co.uk. And you'll find the online pricing tool there too. Many thanks, Jill. Hewitt, NAAC Chief Exec. Let's head out to the fields now with a wet and windy Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Not quite as predicted the weather last week. Yes, good morning, Steve. It's deja vu, isn't it? Not only from a raining again perspective, but also from how the weather forecasters got it wrong. They were forecasting a lovely week of weather for us too. So it's incredibly frustrating for me as an agronomist, but I think that pales into insignificance from a grower's perspective because now it's getting very serious for us. You know, we were looking forward to a warm, sunny, dry week, 
cool and sunny on Monday and Tuesday, cold, windy and sunny on Wednesday and Thursday, and then wet, cold and windy on Friday and Saturday, which once again leaves us struggling to drill, to roll, to spray, to top dress and everything else. So a hugely frustrating last few weeks just continues. Last week I talked about the T1 and the choices for treatments. It's all a bit samey this week. Fortunately, with it having been on the cold side of hot, the growth stages aren't being reached and exceeded with the speed of a sour plum. In fact, little change over the last seven days in wheats. Although winter barley is a slightly different story, I actually found the orns poking out in a bit of King's Barn on Wednesday afternoon. So if you still have outstanding recommendations for T1 yet to be applied on winter barley, and with the growth stage cutoffs for growth regulators like Clormaquat, for example, quite inflexible, you may just want to check with your advisor that it is still safe to apply those mixes before you go cracking on at the next opportunity. Winter wheat, though, as I say, not really running yet, but that said, Leaf 3 is now poking well out on the September and early October drilled stuff. So again, check the labels for constituent parts in any outstanding mixes. Should still be okay, but it's best to know rather than just have a guess at it. And if things carry on like this weather-wise, if it's not too wet, it's too windy, then several weather apps seem to be suggesting it could be wet and windy once again through next week, then either pick a weather app that says it's not going to be wet and windy, it's going to be warm and sunny and live in a blissful state of ignorance, or formulate a plan. We love a good plan as agronomists. So my gut is to, as far as wheat goes know your varieties understand their disease issues and their limitations and correlate all of that to the drilling date go out and walk these crops fully and properly to assess the current disease pressure and prioritize the dirtiest and most forward possibly but not necessarily by variety there are so many variables when it comes to this time of year but what's absolutely clear that with some crops now already with leaf three out if septoria tritici is moving and widespread in the base of those crops as it appears to be in most fields then those wheats that have leaf three out should be prioritized i've been seeing a marked increase in septoria tritici movement over the last seven days unsurprising really i suppose wet and windy weather not cold but not hot and soils 10 degrees c plus fairly widely so being a few days too early with the t1 has shown itself to pretty much beat being a few days late for t1 in every one of my 35 years in this job so what's certain is that making a mistake is far more forgivable than not making a decision so robust rates of sdhis triazoles multi-site inhibitors that i think is a given this spring and absolutely vital oilseed rate flowering sprays too protectants to cover the petals so that in this weather as they come into full flower that as those petals fall and stick to the wet stems the grey moulds and botrytis can't establish and therefore by stopping that botrytis and the grey mould with a covering protectant fungicide on the petal you directly control sclerotinia. We're still seeing the effects of cabbage stem flea beetle and rape winter stem weevil of course but you know where they are and there's nothing you can do about those now except keep your fingers crossed and hope for the best. Sugar beet drilling still stuttering along quite a bit went in in the early part of this week still an awful lot to get in and that brings us back full circle really to talking about drilling once again after last week sugar beet loses about a ton to the acre a week in yield when it's drilled after around the 20th of april but what are you going to do you know leave it in the ground longer at the other end that's about all you can do but it all depends upon what the weather does from now onwards you want the sugar beet in up and away and you'll still be absolutely fine the optimum soil temperature for sugar beet is between 10 and 12 degrees and we pretty much have that every 
everywhere now so it should be in and up and away when it does actually go in but now we're what the 23rd of april a wet last few days possibly the forecast of some more wet days coming so seed beds are not really seed beds out there on the heavier land in particular and a forecast of more unsettled weather as i say to come so spring beans spring barley spring oats linseed potatoes of course all getting a bit concerning spring barley you can't maul it in i keep saying that it needs four to five months 120 to 150 days to get from drilling to harvest depending upon the next four to five months of weather and seedbed conditions soil structure etc all come into play but we haven't heard the cuckoo yet so as long as you expect it to do nearer two ton than three ton then you might still be okay but as i say you cannot maul it in and tillering is going to be much reduced now so spring barley seed rates soil conditions field losses they all need to be at the forefront of your decision making optimum drilling date end was a couple of weeks ago really for spring barley but you're still okay with your fingers crossed spring oats they need to be well rooted before they start any above ground growth so late march very early april once again the optimum we're past that too so again talk to your advisor spring beans getting really late for spring beans now it was a week ago to be fair so if you're expecting to get two tons of the acre of beans that you're drilling now you need to take a little bit more water with whatever you're drinking and accept that one ton is probably closer to the likelihood beans of course are a little different in one respect like peas the benefit to next year's crop shouldn't be underestimated in the rotation so there's all of that to consider too but will they pay all your bills probably not drilled this late bit of pea and bean weevil about as well out there but from experience i'm not sure we do a lot of good with insecticides peas should be okay but again plenty late enough and it depends what the weather does next really the best advice is to plan for the crop it's going to be rather than the crop that you want and the crop that you expect as with all of these late drillings though diseases pests weeds nutrition are all still going to be a cost to you and there's no snake oil or biostimulant on earth that's going to turn them into march drill crop yields but it's all about the coming 10 weeks weather forget about the last 10 and start moving forward and move on linseed 110 days growing spring barley 120 to 150 days to harvest spring oats 110 to 120 days big risks out there at the moment but then that's farming we take risks every day Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Coming up, we've news of a farming award in the name of one of the biggest contributors of our generation to farming and the environment, plus livestock and grain market reports and prices and the weather for the week to come. Next. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. We were fortunate several times to have as a guest on the programme the late Caroline Drummond, who was chief exec of LEAF, linking environment and farming. Sadly, Caroline passed away last year, but her legacy is being preserved in a new farming award. And to tell us all about it is owner of Supply Intelligence and LEAF vice chairman Cedric Porter. Good morning, Cedric. For the few who don't know of Caroline, could you talk us through her huge contribution to the industry? So Caroline Drummond, uh, she was the founding chief executive of LEAF, Linking Environment and Farming. Uh, She found it back in 1991 and she was there for more than 30 years. And uh, sadly, she died last year, almost a year ago. She was in charge for all that time uh, and saw it grow from a very sort of small organisation when farming and the environment was very much in its infancy to being very much at the sort of forefront of driving that need to farm in a way that was more environmentally sensitive, 
also farming very, very well in terms of financially farming and producing high quality food. And during that time, she also got very much involved in promoting good farming to the public with Open Farm Sunday, which started uh, nearly 20 years ago, and then to leaf education, working with tens of thousands of school children now every year, and also the Leaf Mark, which is a environmental standard, which is on, on lots and lots of food. Tesco's, Aldi and Lidl have, have recently adopted the standard as their main standard. Enormous impact over 30 years plus. And it's that passion, that commitment and that effectiveness in everything she did that's led you to honour Caroline in this way, yeah? Yes, certainly. She was always very good at looking forward and seeing what the next sort of thing was that farming had to think about and very good at translating that passion to other people. So it's it's that sort of passion and that's what we're trying to honour with the uh, Caroline Drummond Award, which is celebrating and communicating farming excellence. And it's also in cooperation with the British Guild of Agricultural Journalists, the uh, farming media and the institute of agricultural management so in a person who's applying for the caroline drummond award what are you actually looking for so we're looking for people who've got that same sort of passion for farming really well looking after the environment but also farming high quality food it's the excellence bit that we're we're looking for in farming in, in all its ways but also beyond that it's communicating that to a, a wider audience. So we're looking for a, a wide range of um, entries. So it can be farmers, it can be people who work with farmers, academics or, or organisations, but it's the excellence that we're, we're looking for, making a real difference on their own farms or to other farms as well, and then communicating it with other people. And is this intended to be an annual thing or is it going to be a one-off award? The intention is to be annual. We're having a uh, great uh, trophy made out of um, Cornish U. Uh, Caroline was in Cornwall, but it's being made by a sculptor who's up in Durham, and it's a real sort of trophy to keep. And we'll preserve the legacy of a wonderful lady, Caroline Drummond. Thank you, Cedric. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks, and yeah, good luck to all the entrants. And a reminder regarding Leaf Open Farm Sunday on the 11th of June. If you're thinking of taking part this year, or maybe you're not sure and want to know more, there's an online meeting this Tuesday, the 25th. For more information, email lofs at leaf.eco. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock and from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday, the 17th of April, with a record number of prime cattle and tremendous trade across the board, seeing 300 pence per kilo three times today. Firstly, for bulls from Pitcher Farms at 304 pence per kilo or £1,790. Then with heifers from JS Brooks of Strubby at 305 pence per kilo and £1,705. Then GL and M car seeing heifers away to 300 pence per kilo. Steers top for GL and M car at 291 pence per kilo or £1,658 for DR Ghana farming. On to the cool cows, an all in average of 182.66 pence per kilo with a top for RW and TG Mountain of Carlton at 198 pence per kilo or £1,412. Onto the sheep. First real show of spring lambs for the new season about. See an SQQ of 353.96 pence per kilo. Topping for H Ward Farming Limited of Apley at 370 pence per kilo or £159 per head. 
Onto the hogs and a larger yarding, seeing all in average and an SQQ of 290.81 pence per kilo, showing just how dear those hogs have been today. Scrivelsby Farms Limited taking the day's highs at £179 per head or 351 pence per kilo, with the vast majority of the heavy weighted hogs all over the £150 per head barrier today. Onto the cool ewes and the largest yarding of cool ewes for many, many years with 215 penned and a huge average of £151.72 for everything included. To top with cool rams from Lucy Andrews at £212 per head and cool ewes to top for JM Robinson at £206 per head. It must be said that included in these averages were Herdwick's, Welsh ewes and horned ewes all of which sold well within the three-figure bracket, making Louth one of the best places to currently sell cool ewes. Finally, onto the store sheep and a handful of store hogs, leaving all in average of £71.43 to top for Emily Scaman of Saleby at £80 per head, and Ewan Lamb Outfits are all in average £56.20 per life, top at £77 per life for Kbetskiazi of Summercoats. We're back on tomorrow with our regular weekly sales of prime and cool cattle and all classes of sheep. So for all entries regarding livestock or to discuss the marketing of any stock that you've got, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with our weekly look at the grain markets and prices, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. After a few days off over Easter, I returned to work to an ever-changing market. Prices initially recovered at the start of the week before succumbing to a fresh wave of selling by fund managers who yesterday were credited with selling in excess of 1.3 million metric tonnes on the Seabot Wheat Futures market. Reasons given for this were the reopening of the corridor following two days of closure and an agreement between the EU and Poland to allow the transit but not the import of goods through Poland to their final destination. How this will be monitored is unclear and potentially open to abuse. It appears that no ships sailed from the corridor yesterday despite the reopening and hopes are diminishing that the corridor will be extended beyond the 18th of May deadline, which will make ship owners less inclined to send their vessels to the Black Sea. It also brings into question the recent Ukrainian forecasts for their 23-24 crop will be similar in size to this year, especially if those areas, claimed by Russia, are removed, which accounted for 10 million metric tonnes plus. Someone is being economical with the truth, which adds to the lack of transparency in the region. It is becoming ever clearer that Russian exports will be state-controlled going forward, and now the major multinational grain businesses have exited the Russian market. So looking at barley, plantings of spring barley are now complete in most of England. Scotland still have some to do, as do Denmark and Sweden. France is looking like the Garden of Eden in terms of its spring barley. The only place of concern is Spain, where they have had little rain since January. Dry, sunny weather in the south means that spring barley planted in March is looking good, where the barley planted in January and February is now having to catch up, having gone through some various checks in its normal growing pattern. Those more confident of their spring barley are now making some forward sales to put a line in the sand, irrespective of the final price with premiums circa £50 a tonne over feed for the autumn. Sales are being made on this basis, and if it is the worst sale made of the season, there will be plenty more to sell at better money. Oilseed rape, another volatile week, news of Black Sea corridor stoppages and several EU countries banning imports of Ukrainian grain helped to boost rapeseed and rival oils earlier in the week, with Matif gaining €37.75. But this will be short-lived and prices have since fallen. As ships started to move through the corridor again, Poland reached an agreement to allow Ukrainian grain to pass through it. 
However, other countries are still considering restrictions. European rapeseed imports also continue at a strong pace and they reach 6.37 million metric tonnes, compared with the 4.22 million metric tonnes last year. Brazilian and Argentinian soybeans continue to be the focus of the market. As the Brazilian soybean harvest is now 95% complete and on this basis continues to find new lows and the trade struggles to manage the record crop. Looking at prices this week, feed wheat for May 180 to 186, July 186 to 192, August off the combine 182 to 192 and November 192 to 202. Milling wheat premiums for old crop are circa 60 to 65 pounds. Feed barley for May 165 to 171, July 167 to 172, August off the combine 167 to 172, and November 175 to 187. For malting barley premiums, please do speak to your open field farm business manager. And lastly, oil seed rape May 365 to 375, August 367 to 377, and November 372 to 382. Thank you very much. Thanks to you, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Cool, cloudy and rainy this week. Sunday looks to be calm with some light rain and highs of 12 Celsius. Light northerlies tomorrow under cloudy skies bringing rain pretty much all day and highs only in the upper single figures. A cold night into Tuesday, possibly down to freezing point. Just a light breeze during the day and highs of nine, more light rain. Another cold night into Wednesday, then things start to get a little milder as the light breeze turns southerly, but still rainy. Highs by the end of the week up to 17 Celsius. Well, that's it for now. I'm off to visit a vertical farm this week. Hope I don't get a nosebleed. Sorry. You can hear all about that next Sunday morning from 7 and we'll look ahead to the upcoming Nottinghamshire County show. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, or whenever you like, online, the Lynx FM app, podcast or smart speaker. Have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts.